Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast and my name is Jack Collins. I will be guiding you through as we look at some of the best and worst deals of the January transfer window. Joining me as ever, it's the Rank God, Mr. Sam Ty. We're out of January, Sam, which means you can rank things again. Oh yeah, amnesty over. I'm here now. I'm here. I'm ready to rank. Are you back? You, you know, had you had a nice break, had a good holiday? I would say holiday. You know, I've been I've been executive assistant to Dean Jones's rankings. You know, the, the, the work never stops. The ranking never stops. But uh, I'm feeling pretty positive about February. You know, January was rubbish, but February is going to be great. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And of course, our old ranker, Mr. Dean Jones. Well done, Dean. Good January. Good hustle. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it was quite a uh, it was quite a good month in the end, work wise. Um, the transfer window picked up in the last week and in the last couple of days, there's actually quite a lot going on. Um, maybe not at the top, top level, but just below that um, wasn't too bad. A few bits went on. So it was enough to keep me busy. Um, and then in between, I watched Ted Lasso, which I keep telling you two about because I want you to watch it now. Um, it's what well, we were involved in a promotion. For well, this is what's strange about it, isn't it? We were involved in the promotion of it at the time and, and did all that, um, but never actually got around to watching what we promoted. Um, and now I have, and I wish I'd put a lot more effort into that um, because it <laughs> it deserved a lot more than I gave it. What are you on about? Um, your, your lines were scripted to the word. You had no flexibility. Had no flexibility. I feel like my acting could have gone up a notch. Um, yeah, those were strange days of lockdown when we were just waiting for it to end at any moment. And here we are still waiting. Yeah, um, six months later. Still but yeah, there. honestly, a lot, of, a lot of the Rank Squad actually have messaged us over the past four months asking us to talk about Ted Lasso, particularly our Patreon. It's like, which character would you three be? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and obviously, we just ignored these questions. because had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> um, soon, I will do that. I will do that. Once I've got through the, the series of Ted Lasso... I want to do that. And I encourage everybody to go and watch it. I think we can make it a gibberish at the end of one of yes. these episodes. So, Let's do that. so that'll Maybe take more week, off. I'll that'll take more week. off Sam's plate. Um, yeah, I'll do it next week. We're going to go straight into transfers, basically. Um, but before we do, I do just want to make a couple of references to things we love because Sam basically banned me from doing this because Betis went ahead of Granada in the league with a 1-0 win over Osasuna last night. Um, those of you following us on Twitter would have noticed that I might have posted the league table. Um, and, you know, basically I've got a nosebleed from being so high up, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, and also in Portugal, Sporting beat Benfica with a 92nd minute winner last night in the Derby de Lisboa. Obviously, it was one of the games we spotlighted on Friday. And it put Sporting nine points clear of Benfica, four points clear of Porto at the top of the table. And they are on course for their first Primeira win since 2002. So it's a good time uh, to be part of the green and white half of Lisbon because they have suffered for some time at the hands of their their rivals and neighbours. So 
those are just two quick things I love. And, and I Sam, can't believe you've got the sporting shirt on, Jack, right now. I mean, how many football shirts have you got, mate? Far too many, I think. Honestly, have a guess. Answer. Have I would a guess. say near 100. 100? Near 100, yeah. Remember, he, will, yeah. he wore one every day for like the first lockdown. And he, I he had only 70 ran out of like... at that. I had 70 at that point. And also like there are some, so like when we did the FA Cup and stuff, I still have some shirts from those kind of days. And those ones I can't put on because I can't really put on like a Wolves shirt or a Man City shirt because I'm a Fulham fan, obviously. So I I find it quite weird putting on another shirt from from England. But in the rest of the world, I'm a a little bit more lackadaisical with just chucking shirts on left, right and center, frankly. So I reckon I have, yeah, probably probably close to 100. It's um, a lot of them came through work and, you know things like that and being given them so it's not like i have just splashed out a lot of them also fake so <laughs> yeah i mean just like spent thousands of pounds on football good shirts. fake though they're all but, good um, fakes i would never know but yeah no i do like this my i mean my sporting my sporting roots are not not too deep but my girlfriend's family are sort of split between sporting and porto so obviously uh i have I have a little bit of a, a foot in each camp in 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 that regard and sam should we do some chance first yeah, just before we launch into a top five, and I, I've put some serious thought into this, guys. It's, I've been agonizing over for, for weeks and weeks. So uh, you, you're getting prime red hot Sam Tai rankings here coming in hot in February. But just before we launch into the top five, this, this, this doesn't qualify because it's a, a dry loan with no option or no obligation. So I haven't included those those kinds of deals in this in this ranking. But our friend, our legend in the making, Chris Richards, of Bayern Munich has joined Hoffenheim on loan for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Very happy for him to go out and get some game time and truly following in the footsteps of his Bayern Munich mentor, uh, David Alaba, who went on loan to Hoffenheim himself in 2010-11. I think made 17 starts in the Bundesliga, so in and out of the team, but some really good first-team experience on a consistent basis. And it was the making of him because he came back in next season, played pretty well for Bayern Munich, and then the following season... They won the treble under Jupp Heynckes and Alaba was uh, a key part of that from left back. So here's hoping, Chris, your career follows the exact same trajectory. I'm excited about him becoming best mates with Ryan Sessegnon. Of course, yeah. So, no, it's just a new one for us. So uh, obviously, um, I wish him all the best and can't wait to see them two, the two boys just hanging out, having a good time. So, yeah, excellent. Good luck, Chris. And on to the rankings, Sam. Yeah, so one more disclaimer. You know I love a disclaimer. You love disclaimers. Rigorous terms and conditions do apply to every ranking that I create. I've not put Dominic Schobersley in this list. And the reason is I've decided to rule out internal Red Bull transfers. (laughs) Okay, yeah, fair (laughs) enough. The reason for that, twofold, right? One, we talk about Schobersley all the time. We love him. We'd just be repeating ourselves over and over again and... You know, in a fair ranking, he'd be he'd be in the top five, no question. For, for 17 or 18 million or whatever it was, he's a fine signing. But the January window is supposed to be really difficult. It's 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 a place in which it's very difficult to maneuver. It's a serious challenge. It's clubs that are desperate for something. They've got halfway through the season and a glaring need has popped up. They've got a tiny little window in order to operate. They've got reduced resources because of the coronavirus pandemic. And anybody who has managed to produce something very, very special in January deserves lauding. An internal Red Bull transfer does not qualify for this. So I've decided to leave it aside, but I just wanted to say that that is obviously an excellent signing. It's just not that notoriously challenging kind of business that we're looking to 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 reward and to appreciate today. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Reasonable. Couple of honourable mentions to drop. Jean-Philippe Mateta from Mainz to Crystal Palace. This is a three million-ish loan option with a 14 million permanent option. So about 17 or so in the summer if it works out. 
I sincerely hope this works out better than the last man named Jean-Philippe to transfer to the Premier League from Mainz because Gabaman has had the same injury luck as Abu Diaby. But Mateta's a good all-round forward and I think Hodgson will really like him. So I like this deal. Much like I like another striker deal, Eric Milik to Marseille. The, the deal's really weird. He's got six months left on his contract, but he's gone on loan for 8 million as an option, rising to 12 million in the summer. But before you can activate that, apparently he has to extend his contract with Napoli so that Marseille can pay the fee. God knows what we're into here, boys. I, I, is- I don't think we should look at Marseille as anything but a, you know complete chaos right now. You you predicted, Sam, in the Torcida the other week that uh, <laughs> VS Boas might explode. And I think he did explode this morning. So, yeah. so there was that. There was he's, that. Offered, he's offered his resignation after a very trying couple of months. Uh, Milik doesn't walk into a very stable situation there. But point blank, 20 million euros total for a 26-year-old striker of, of, of Milik's quality. That's a good deal in a tough spot. But it will go into the top five. This is a deadline day deal. This is Moises Caicedo to Brighton, signing from Independiente del Valle, 19-year-old central midfielder, four and a half million pounds. So we talked about Caicedo on one of our Patreon episodes in January. We spotlighted him on one of our Friday episodes. So a little bit of repetition there, but Brighton have got this done, not Manchester United, who were the focus of this particular pursuit at the time. I'll recap a bit of the analysis for those of you that aren't on Patreon. Why aren't you on Patreon for a start? But those of you that also maybe support Brighton, this is a really nice pickup. He's one of the best young midfielders coming out of South America. And he's one of the most intelligent of his age group I think I've seen. There's a positional aptitude to his game. He understands the flow of what's happening around him. He's probably going to get used in a more box-to-box role initially, but I think he could be honed into sort of one of those cleverer, deeper-lying midfielders like a Hoybier in the future. And I don't expect to see very much of him in the first six months because he hasn't played since mid-December. And he's a 19-year-old South American who is joined, who is swapping continents, so we've got to give him some time. But for £4.5 this is a great advanced pickup for them. It might make Brighton fans feel a little bit better about the looming shadow of Yves Bissouma leaving in the summer, if that were to happen. Although they are slightly different players at the moment, I think this is a good continuation policy and it's smart scouting from Brighton. They've really struck at the opportunity here. Yeah, we had a we had a message from Thomas Ryland Jenkins who said, remember when you were on about the Latin influence at Brighton? Well, the Playa del Brighton just got another South American visionary <laughs> stuff. So... I mean, yeah. it did. I found yeah. out a couple more things about Caicedo since we spoke about him on Patreon, by the way. He's one of 10 brothers. Mm. 10 he's brothers? 10 brothers. One oh, of 10. Oh, my days. Are they just trying for a girl over and over <laughs> again? Or what happened? <laughs> that is carnage. Also, apparently, he's excellent at maths, Moises Caicedo. Well, he had to count all his brothers. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Good for picking angles, you'd imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Wow. Well, Fantastic. Well, we'll see what he's like in the championship in six months then, shall we, Sam? Is that what you're saying? Why are you going to be good in six months? Because he'll be playing championship football with Brighton. They're not going down, buddy. Don't kid yourself. That would be a bad... That could turn out bad, couldn't it? If Fulham or West Brom or go on a bit of a run, he's playing in the championship in a few months. But, you know, serious question, I guess, is that, you know, Basuma is the one we're talking about as as a potential... He always gets mentioned now as a 30, 40 million pound move, maybe to one of the top six clubs, and he keeps impressing. Um... Is this a bit of a, an insurance policy, I guess? Is the Basuma hype real from the top clubs? Well, it might, the interest is obviously real, but I mean, nobody's putting their money where their mouth is these days. And I don't think that there's any guarantee that 
anyone can spend that kind of money on Pissouma. I think it's interesting that big clubs haven't really got out and spent any money, big money anyway, in this window. They've all really put their foot on the ball, if you like, and like they're just going to wait for the summer to do their proper business because they don't know what state the world's going to be in, if it's improved <laughs> at all. Um, it was a real Jorginho of a transfer window, wasn't it? <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's what the transfer window was. Um, so we have to see, like, if there's a big improvement and, like, there's a sign that next season is going to be normal, then I think there's more chance that he leaves. But, like, if there's a possibility, like, the following season's even opening with no fans, probably a good chance he stays, to be honest, because teams just aren't going to have that kind of money to spend. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this. I think it's clever business from Brighton. I think they've done well here. And, you know, we read a really interesting article from Rory Smith the other week about the way that these deals break down and why there were so many teams originally interested in Caicedo and how they fell apart because of the knots and the complications with agent fees and all these things. And with all that said, Brighton already had a relationship here and have managed to utilize that to sneak in and, and pick up a really, really hot prospect, you know, kind of for on the cheap under everyone's noses. And, and Dean, we spoke about the fact that teams are starting to look for in the, in the UK, at least starting to look further abroad because of the new regulations brought in with Brexit and all of these different elements. And that means that sides like Brian who have these relationships are now looking to be at somewhat of an advantage. And, and I think we've seen that here. Yeah. Well, basically you cannot sign anyone under 18 now from Europe and bringing through, you know, having, feeder clubs isn't even going to work now properly unless you basically own that club or own part of that club so I think we will actually start to see more Premier League clubs you know build partnerships and actually just take over some um, some clubs on the continent in Europe um, just to kind of push players through that through that means and just get them all inside a setup so they almost have a foreign base for players that they want to pick up that could possibly as Premier League targets because at the moment it genuinely is much easier to bring over talent from South America than it is from Europe and that's a complete turnaround from how things have been over the last well 20 years basically for the Premier League so yep. um, yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how things change but watch out for for that over the next couple of years that the amount of teams in the Premier League looking to have tie-ins with other clubs. A distinction here to be made as well that while that is true in what in terms of what Dino's saying into like those clubs are kind of almost like empire building with different feeder clubs and link clubs Caicedo is is ever so slightly different in that he's a full Ecuador international yeah like, I mean, he, he's already he's already he's already showed showed his chops on on the on the main international stage in one of the most unforgiving international setups ever the the, the South American World Cup qualifying he's become an undroppable asset in Ecuador's midfield and they are a young and developing side they're not great but he has a certain degree of pedigree that sets him apart again, I think, here. Okay. Should we move on to number four, Sam? Yeah, number four um, is Coadio Kone from Toulouse to Borussia Mönchengladbach for 9 million euros and then loaned back to Toulouse for the rest of the season. If you're not familiar with him, fair enough. Um, I mean, I stumbled across him last summer when I was writing some data-themed pieces for Bleach Report using a premium tool called Transfer Lab, uh, thanks to Analytics FC, which is a, a data analysis company working with, with football clubs. And they profile different types of players and they model them. And I was looking for a midfielder for Arsenal. So I was setting my, my sliders on the tool and trying to find the right profile. And obviously, Ibrahim Sangare came up, who ended up joining PSV last summer. The data analyst that I'd been paired with to help me use the, the toolbox said, oh, by the way, Toulouse know they're losing Sangare. So um, they actually benched him at the end of the season and they brought in Coadio Kone from their youth setup. You should check him out. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty good indeed. And Gladbach have figured this out pretty quickly. So he's about six foot one, maybe a touch taller, super mobile, really explosive box-to-box midfielder, carries the ball really smoothly, glides around the pitch. It's so nice to see. Again, like Caicedo, one of those players that maybe box-to-box now, but in the future could be moulded to one of those kind of smarter players. He's already played as the deepest of the three for Toulouse, as well as as one of the the number eights in in a three-man midfield. And if he were to drop in, he's got this kind of lankiness to his frame, really good in the air, really clean tackler. There are elements of Fabinho to him here. And that, I think, is why I like him so much, because I'm a big believer in in Fabinho. And Kone, we won't, again, won't see much of him for the next six months unless you're watching League 2. But um, Gladbach have picked up a really good one here. I like the player. I like the price. And perhaps most importantly here, I like the fit. Because you think about the... the the football that Gladbach play, the intense nature of it, the vertical nature of it, and the coaching staff, the way they use players and the, the types of midfielders they like. This is a player that suits them down to the ground, and he hasn't really cost that much. He could be a compliment to Zachariah. He could be an insurance policy, the same way we've been talking about Caicedo to Bissouma. There's a lot of options here. But this is just another club picking up a, a future piece for a pretty bargain fee. And then just letting him breathe a little bit, and I like. And what to I'm guessing, it. Sam, is that someone, someone in England, will be linked with signing him for about thirty-five million pound in about a year's time because their scouting department just never picked him up in the first place. This is what annoys me about English clubs and why I spend so much money because presumably this guy could go and do a job for someone in the Premier League. Yeah, probably. I mean, look, he is in the duh at the moment, so there's definitely some refinement to happen. But And they were never going to be able to buy him this January because he's just spent six months in Ligue 2. So he wouldn't qualify for the uh, for the amount of points that you would need in the Brexit oh, okay. regime. Right. But they could have bought him in the summer. You know, it would have been a small sample size, but Toulouse went down that summer. How much would he have cost last summer? Five million? You can take those punts then. It would have been impossible now. Only Gladbach, oh, not only Gladbach, non- non-English clubs can take him. But the foresight's there. The analyst I was working with spotted him in June, I think mm. it was, that I was working on those pieces. So his talent's been there. I think you nailed it there. I was about to ask you, do you think this is an insurance for Gladbach to say mm, there is interest in Dennis Zachariah? We've seen Spurs link before. We've seen United link before. And it looks like there's an element there that they're just like, okay, we'll cover our losses a little bit. If he doesn't work, then it's a great partnership. And if not, then we can, we have someone in the wings who we think is capable of stepping up into that role because Zachariah, you know, is such a, is such a key player. And I, I spoke about this last night. I was on a deadline day stream uh, with the Bull Street guys and the Everton fan on the stream said that the two players he was really into signing for Everton were Dennis Zachariah and Leon Bailey, to which I replied, you'd be lucky. Um, but I, <laughs> I said, you know, to about Zachary, you know, he's played every game since he came back from that knee injury in this, in November. United and Spurs were linked and Gladbach are in the round of 16. Granted, they have a, a, a tricky old tie in that round, but they're also one point of the Champions League spots for next week, next year. It's not like... You know, they'd have you'd have a massive pulling power now to go and sign a Zachariah. But in the summer, you could imagine he might be tempted to try a new challenge because the clubs that are being linked with him are big clubs and, and they are clubs in need of a player of his kind of profile. So I like this too. I mean, I I would be lying if I told you that I had watched much of Toulouse in League there, <laughs> but I trust those kind of elements of loaning him back indicates the fact that they've you know got a long-term plan for him. And that kind of cover red shirt, and we've talked about Leicester doing it before uh, and being able to bring players in to cover those positions so that they're comfortable when they do come in and have to step up to the first team. And it looks like another case of that. Clubs like Gladbach have to plan like this. They don't have a choice. This is how they stay alive. 
be smarter, take the take the smaller risks on the market and net the big profits and have the next man ready to move in. This is just the way it has to work. And I mean, I can't imagine that a club like Gladbach are doing particularly well financially right now because pretty much everybody is struggling because of the pandemic. And so they might come to the situation in the summer, even if they qualify for the Champions League again, where 40 or 45 million for Dennis Zakharai is just too good to, to turn down. And when clubs like Manchester United are crying out for him, when clubs like Tottenham could clearly use him, they might just be in need of a player like Kone to step in and pick up the slack. This is just how the football world works. Lovely. Okay, mate, let's move things on to number three. Okay, number three, one of the most perplexing deals of January. Fikayo Tomori, Chelsea to AC Milan, loan with a £25 million option. We've talked about this a couple of times on the Patreons, but still don't really know where Chelsea are going with this one. Um, and I wonder if Thomas Tuchel, who stepped in about a week after this was, san- was sanctioned, as sort of looking at that thinking, well, we've really dropped the ball here. I could use Tomori because, yeah, on the face of it, he seems expendable, frozen out by Lampard completely ostracised, really. Barely played a game in a year. Nearly left on loan last summer. It was West Ham linked, was it, Dino? Um, yeah. I mean, that was never... That's, that, that doesn't sit right with me at all. And it doesn't sit right with me that... It would have been a move up the Premier League table, though, for him. <laughs> Very true. true. Very true. It doesn't sit right with me that they're prioritising Christensen's career over his. I'd say that Tomori should have a bigger future at Chelsea than someone like Rudiger as well. And, and if they keep rolling with this back three, the need for Tomori is, is, is becomes clearer and clearer. And Milan are just sat there giggling, aren't they? Smirking, smiling, laughing. Much needed centre-back depth for them in what promises to be a pretty gruelling second half of the season, schedule-wise. They're clearly impressed with him already because he's dropped in uh, for the injured Kayer in the Milan derby. Impressed. Made his full debut at the weekend. Impressed. I would be very surprised if Milan don't try to action this 25 million option in the summer because Tomori is a very good young player. 23 Incredible pace and two-footedness, a rare skill set for a centre-back. Very, very impressive player. I don't know why he's been treated the way he has. And Chelsea are probably going to have to try and pull on the heartstrings of Tomori to reject the permanent move to Milan, because that's always possible. But, you know, all Paolo Maldini has to do is go, hey, you know, I think you could be a great player under my tutelage for Caio. And it might swing the other way. Interesting. I mean... Obviously, Maldini being there was a massive pull and, you know, Tomori has been really keen on the idea of, of going and playing in Italy and I think he's embracing it so far. He's said to be like, you know, enjoying learning Italian and all the rest of it and thinks he's going to thrive playing in that team, obviously competing for the title. Um, from Chelsea's point of view, this is what I'm told anyway, um, one, they don't, re- they don't really expect Milan to come and buy him. They don't think that they're going to pay £25 million for him. And if they do... Chelsea's thinking is that ain't bad for us to sell to Maury for 25 million pound isn't a bad deal because we're putting that straight into somebody else and Chelsea are going big on a centre-back next summer and Tuchel can basically help them decide who that's going to be um, so that's what they're thinking is uh, they that they basically yeah they don't think Milan will probably pay that and you look at what Milan have paid I mean they paid about that same fee for Rafael Leal um, they paid 19 million for Teo Hernandez um, I'm not sure. I don't know if Milan will either. I guess it will depend really on how well this season ends up. You know, if they do win the league or come, you know, I guess second, if there is if there is Champions League football on the horizon, then they're obviously going to have to keep up the momentum from this season. But do they buy Tomori or do they look for look in another direction? I think it's an interesting one. I totally understand what you're saying, but it was quite interesting for me to get the opinion of someone inside Chelsea mm. to say, well, why was that clause 
in there and they're like it's not a bad deal we you know we make a lot of money on tomorrow if we get 25 million pound we never thought we'd get that I mean, it's all it's from their perspective, it's all profit because he's, he's homegrown. So it's, it's, it's pure 25 million pounds, which is great for the books. I mean, what I would say to that in terms of doubting Milan, pulling the trigger on the on the option is maybe I rate Tamori a little higher than a couple of people at Chelsea. And to be fair, they should know him better. So fair enough. But Milan are going to qualify for the Champions League unless it's an absolute disaster. And that gives them Champions League money to play with, which we know is significant. Then you take a look at Milan's squad. Pretty deep, very young room to grow, not a lot of holes. There ain't a lot to address here for Milan. When they get to the summer and they take a look at that Champions League level, they can take a look at their young players. They look at Leao, they look at Teo, they look at all these guys and think, yep, continue to grow. We'll stick with you. Upset we don't you ha- haven't mentioned the truth, Jens Petterhorger here. Jens Petterhorger, the same. J- jump him in with the same. I mean, there just aren't that many problems to, to address. Usually when a club takes the step up to the Champions League for the first time in nine years or whatever it is for Milan, they've got you know six players to buy. That's not going to be the case because they've recruited young with high potential. So they're just going to let this crop grow. And Samori might be one of three players they need. And with Champions League money... That's twenty-five million pound a player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking at having the right amounts of cash to spend. In fact, exactly the right amounts of cash. Yeah, it's nice how you did that one, Sam. I I like your maths. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to number two? Yeah, you didn't know that I was also great at maths, did yeah, you, Moises exactly. Caicedo? You and Moises Caicedo both, and you didn't even have any brothers to count. No, I didn't. No, I did not. Not a single brother in sight. Anyway, number two, I've gone for Musa Dembele. 24-year-old striker loaned to Atletico Madrid from Lyon. So loaned with a 33 million euro option, which I saw this deal and I immediately thought that's very cheap for a player of Dembele's quality in the position that he plays in, in particular. Strikers are supposed to cost tons. Very good strikers are supposed to cost megatons. And after they cancelled Costa's contracts, they needed to, they needed someone to step in. With Suarez in form, I figured they'd go a little bit lower key. But Dembele on loan, again, give him that room to breathe. He's been on a few benches so far, but not not played any minutes. He's he's adapting to the style, which is obviously very different to what he's used to. But straight up, this is a fantastic deal for a player of this quality. And the fact that you got him in January makes it all the better. Um, I'm surprised more clubs didn't do this, which was essentially vulture Liga, because they're in great peril with their TV deal. And we saw a couple of players like you know Morgan Sanson joined Aston Villa for a pretty modest fee. And Dembele's gone on loan to Atleti with an option, which is just kind of crazy to me. We didn't see that much of it. But Atleti, missed the big one. Josh Madger joined Fulham. Josh Madger joining Fulham as well. I mean, look, there's just no risk to this, which is probably the key point. They can, in, they can integrate him a little bit slowly. They've, they've pumped up the depth in the striker position. They've got a credible alternative to Luis Suarez, which they did not have before. They've got room to wiggle because they're so far ahead in the league and they like what they see. Well, they can pay what I believe is probably 75%, maybe even half of Dembele's true value. So this is a big win. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like this. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think this is an excellent deal from an athletic point of view. Like you say, there's that time for him to go and just sort of study Suarez's craft for a little bit, which is, you know, pretty incredible for a striker. He's not young anymore, I don't think is, is what I would say. He's no, he's no longer a prospect. He is a fully formed striker in his own right who has scored goals wherever he has gone. You know, he scored goals in the Champions League. He has scored goals, well, you know, for both, you know, for both Celtic and Leon, he has scored goals in the Champions League. He has been a fixture of two sides who have won silverware. He has played 
you know, in the in the championship, which is a tough league. And I'm going, you know, as a young man, he, you know, was part of a, a very, very good strike force that probably kept Fulham in the championship in quite dire times at the cottage, right? He and he was a very much part of that side that basically assured Fulham's survival. And he was a huge part of that, him and Ross McCormack as a duo. And and that kind of learning curve where he has gone Fulham. Then Celtic, where he got those chances to win titles, yes, but also to play at the, at the top level to test himself uh, in the Champions League. That move to Leon felt like a, you know, a good step. And then this feels like another step up. You know, he feels like his trajectory has is, is been right all the way through. And I like that. I like the fact that he is moving in a direction that, that kind of works. You know, all of these steps up have been kind of not slight, but they've been not unmanageable. And and you've managed to sort of like stir his way. And he is now finally at what I would call one of Europe's elite clubs. You know, uh, one of the best three teams in Spain, the best team in Spain right now, but one of the, you know, the biggest three teams in Spain, a Champions League contender. And with all that said, he has the ability now, he's not come in with all this pressure on his shoulders to come in and deliver immediately. He has Suarez to learn from. He knows that Suarez's time is going to be relatively short. So there is an opening for him to come in and be the main man relatively soon. Everything about this fits for me. And I just really, really like it. Yep. Yeah. I hated the day when Musa left Fulham because... You could just see how good he was. Um, and you just knew that you were letting something go. I was thinking, like, if Fulham could have just got through that spell, we had Patrick Roberts coming through and you had Dembele. And in passing, we had Sessegnon. And there's always been these players that are just taken away from Fulham. And you just, you're always watching them from afar, just trying to see what they've managed to do. And Dembele is one of those that's just absolutely living up to the expectation. Um, you know, it's always talked about coming back to the Premier League is always linked with with clubs and um, it hasn't happened yet. And I think it's probably wise that he hasn't come into the Premier League. I think that, the, like Jack says, the path he's taken has been really smart. And yeah, I really hope for him that, that things do go well. Atleti, you know, could be um, could be a La Liga title winner. He Speak- will be a La Liga title winner. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Fulham, a quick detour. Josh Madger coming in on deadline day for you guys. How are we feeling about that? Um, I'm okay about it. It's one of those ones where I thought that Josh King was probably, is probably the better player, but he is on far higher wages with far less to prove. The story's nice, isn't it? Left the Fulham Academy. If he came back and saved the day, that would be a a nice narrative arc. And as you know, I do support narrative FC. Um, (laughs) But also, you know, he's got something to prove. And there's a brilliant article on The Athletic today from Peter Rutzer about how, you know, his life in France has changed and how it's quite nice for him to be coming back to England, not under the glare of the cameras all of a sudden. You know, he's come back in, not necessarily under the spotlight and, and feels like he has something to prove. So... I hope that it's something that can that can help. I'm not sure if it's the answer to Fulham's woes. I'm not sure that Josh Madger is going to be the piece of the puzzle that keeps us up, but I really, really hope I'm wrong. Jack, the bad news for you here, mate, is that you are already really annoyed every time Fulham play that the commentary team mention either Adamola Lookman's missed penalty or the fact that Anthony Robinson almost joined Milan last mm. winter. Well, add in Josh Madger, star of the controversial Netflix documentary Sunderland Till I Die. You just count them up. We'll get to May and you will be beside yourself with anger at those I'll repeated be, I'll mentions. be in the Thames. In the Thames. Well, there's and... already another one we've got, Sam, because we've got Tosin. And now everybody, every commentator has to tell us the whole story about how you no longer say his surname. You just call him Tosin and none of them seem to understand why. They don't need to understand why. If he wants to be called Tosin, then that's what we'll call him. Yeah. It's not that hard, is it? It's not <laughs> that complicated, to be honest. Yeah, one of those just basic human liberties. You, you do get to choose what you're called. That is, yeah. that is just one of those things. Anyway, into number one. 
It's a deadline day special. I'll be honest, I'm surprised that I've even put it this high, but I chewed it over and chewed it over. And I still just can't quite get my head around this happened. Is Ozan Kabak to Liverpool on loan from Schalke in the most ludicrous, ludicrously one-sided deal I think I could possibly ever imagine. Zero risk on Liverpool's side. They have come from a position of absolute desperation. Joel Matip, Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk, all ruled out for the season. No fit senior centre-backs at the club. Every other club in this position on January 31st or February 1st gets absolutely shafted. They're charged double. The, the player asks for double the wages. There's all sorts of conditions in the contracts and release clauses. It's a nightmare. What do Liverpool do? They turn this situation into Ozan Kabak, a very good young defender, for a paltry upfront loan fee and the possibility of signing him for about 25 million if they like him later on. They've signed him from Schalke, bottom of the Bundesliga. They've just sold their prized defensive asset and replaced him with Skodron Mustafi, right? And they're not even guaranteed the cash windfall that they clearly need because their books are a mess. I cannot explain this. I cannot I can. explain this. What, I what can. I can explain this. The, the difference is that I used to say that some club director of footballs play checkers and Michael Edwards plays chess, right? I think that is doing Michael Edwards a huge disservice. Other <laughs> club directors play checkers. Michael Edwards plays 4D chess. Michael <laughs> Edwards sold Mustafi to, to Schalke without ever owning Mustafi. <laughs> this man is a genius. And, and it's as simple as that. I, I think that... Obviously, Liverpool looked at Mustafi and went, mm, don't think that's going to fill the gap. Wonder how we could turn this into signing a long-term Klopp target in Ozan Kabak, been highly recommended by his best mate, David Wagner. And he managed to pull it off to this fee. I, I, I mean, honestly, Schalke must have woken up today and gone, hang on, what? What have we done? <laughs> and, and with all that said, it's just like, it, it's just... It's incredible, frankly, incredible. And and the point being, Sam, that there isn't any risk. Look, I think Kabak will be good, but even if he isn't, it doesn't. Well, it does matter in terms of Liverpool season, but it doesn't matter in terms of financial windfall. It doesn't matter in terms of how how this plays out for them financially. And, and no. with all that said, you and just got to doff your cap, don't you? You just got to doff your cap. It doesn't compromise these long-term objectives that they religiously stick by. If Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk and John Matip all return by June and they're good to go, they're happy to play the following season and they decide that they don't need to make Kabak permanent for 25, 30 million, whatever it is, then they just don't do it. And they said, thank you very much. We paid you a million and a half of a loan fee and Kabak got us through the rest of the season. We probably didn't win the title, but we secured our top four spot, which for some reason actually genuinely looked in under threat when they failed to beat West Brom and Fulham and all the other teams down there and lost to Burnley. Like it was quite dire at one point. They're turning it around. This has potentially saved their season. They should have been charged like, like just through the nose for this. And I don't know how they've managed to come away with a bargain. I like yeah. Kabak. I like Kabak. I mean, you should probably, everyone should bear in mind the fact that, um, I mean, Kab Kabak was one of the few players actually that's, been a long-term link of Liverpool. Liverpool don't normally sign players that are linked because they keep their cards so close to their chest. We we usually have an idea of the type of defender they're looking at and we usually find it hard to nail down exactly who it is. But Kabak's been one of those that, you know, I've been writing about for a little while now. Um, we've been talked about various times on this pod. Um, but something I hadn't really had in mind was the fact that, obviously, Klopp 
from Germany was able to do his own checks on just how this player was, how good a fit he was. Wagner, David Wagner, knows him. He's somebody that he's worked closely with and he's been able to get a full scouting report from him and from a mate who's been able to tell him the ins and outs of whether he's good enough to suit Liverpool's style of play and what is how far he can develop. So I hadn't really um, taken that into account until somebody mentioned it to me last night that, oh, well, Wagner helped them with this because he gave Klopp the complete lowdown on, on, on whether the player would fit into Liverpool. I was like, oh, oh, that makes more sense then because, yeah, he's going to know everything about him. Um, Davies, I thought, was a bit weird. Um, and we'll see. I, th- I think with Davies, to be honest, um, he'll be playing for Celtic by next season. But um, again, if that's what happens, then that's what happens. I mean, the lad's got absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get some some takes on, on Ben Davies. Obviously, Liverpool signed a second centre-back yesterday. But I just want to quickly, for those of you who haven't watched Kabak, who haven't, you know, I thought we'd give a quick lowdown. Obviously, 20-year-old Turkish centre-back. Been a hugely bright light for Schalke in a very dark period. I think that's that's worth saying. Strong, he plays on the front foot, he's aggressive in the tackle, and you know, he's reasonably quick with good position. There's not much to his game that you you think mm, bit of a weak spot. He's obviously a little bit rash at the moment. He's 20. You're gonna expect that from a center back of that age who's playing in a in a top league. But you know, being a long-term target, Schalke fans must be a bit confused. They're in a relegation battle. They're nine points adrift and they've just lost their star man. And I'd imagine there are a lot of Schalke fans this morning going, hang on, what is going on? How have we managed to lose him for nothing at this point? And, but yeah, I, I think he's a, I think he's a really good little player. And I think, well, he's not little at all. I think he's a good big player and <laughs> he will, it will fit nicely in here. But yeah, they've, I mean, signed two centre-backs and Ben Davis is a little bit different, isn't he? He's he's much more of the left-sided ball-playing centre-back to to Kabak's kind of <laughs> kick and rush, if you will. He's a little bit more of a, a of an old-school centre-back. And Sam, I thought we should uh, we should get an expert in to give us a lowdown on Ben Davis. What do you think? Yeah, I can't pretend to have watched any Preston recently, so it would be uh, disingenuous of me to start waxing lyrical about uh, Michael Edwards striking again on Ben Davies. Uh, big win for, for Ben Davies, actually, the Preston version or the Liverpool version now because he's overtaken Tottenham's Ben Davies in the Google SEO order. So it didn't take very long for him to become the most important Ben Davies of our time. Well done to him. Just before we get some expert analysis, I wanted to just share a funny story about this yesterday. So Ben Davies hadn't been announced by Liverpool, right? And Preston announced the signing of Liam Lindsay from Stoke on loan. And in the Liam Lindsay announcement, they were like, he will take the number six shirt vacated by Ben Davies' permanent transfer to Premier League champions Liverpool. And no one had announced it. And then they had to like rapidly delete it off the Preston site. But everyone was like, oh, right, that's gone through then. That's it. I suppose, <laughs> suppose that's a done deal. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that in the, in the maelstrom yeah, of, of all the signings last night. Um, but like you say, Sam, let's get some expert opinion from our friend and the Not The Top 20 podcast, Mr. Ali Maxwell. <laughs> High Rank Squad, it's your delightful championship correspondent here, Ali Maxwell. Great to be on the show this week. And I'm here to talk about Ben Davies, obviously, who Liverpool have signed from Preston on deadline day. Big step up, I think we can all agree. I'm pretty excited about this one. I think that it's it's very rare and it's quite exciting that we get to see what happens when you take a very good top 10 easily championship centre-back but not one that's obviously ready for elite football and put them into one of the 
best teams in the world who are going to be playing a lot of high intensity, high pressure matches in the Premier League and in the Champions League. The first thing to say about Davies, which will have been the first box to tick, is that he's left footed and he's very good on the ball. I would say that's his attribute that probably stands out the most at championship level. I can already picture him spraying diagonal passes out to Trent Alexander-Arnold. I can picture him stepping into midfield with the ball and playing good passes to the midfielders in front of him or into Firmino's feet. Under the intense press of of top-level sides, I simply don't know if he will thrive or if he may struggle. There is no way of knowing and very little precedent in terms of this move. But he should be composed and good on the ball for them. He's not a physically dominant centre-back. He's not a centre-back that's going to smash the opposition striker into smithereens, who's going to win 90% of his aerial duels. He's pretty small at six foot one compared to most elite centre-backs. And I'm sure he'll get targeted by physical strikers in the Premier League, and there are plenty of them. But he's coped well with that in the Championship. And there is a big difference in quality between strikers in the Championship and the Premier League. But with his good reading of the game with his good timing in the challenge, with his good body positioning, he has sort of mitigated that lack of physicality, I guess. And so I guess you'd say he's a smart defender, right? Someone who's good on the ball, who picks passes, who's confident and composed, but also in defensive terms is more about what I've said there, positioning, timing, kind of the mental side of of the defensive game. He's been under the radar a little bit. I would have expected him to go to a maybe a bottom half Premier League side. Sheffield United, I would see him being a pretty good fit there, for example, on the, the left side of their back three. Or Celtic, of course, as was rumoured. This is Liverpool. This is a, a ridiculous leap. He he likely won't play more than, what, 15 games between now and the end of the season? Uh, and it's possible that he'll be moved on in a year or so and Liverpool will probably make a tidy profit. I don't think Ben Davis will be disastrous. Well, thank you very much, Ali, for that. It seems, all things being well, the the Liverpool have got themselves a little bit of a a deal steal sale of the century there as well. So, you know, as we say, they let one go though, Liverpool, and we'll move, Sam, into a couple of other deals that aren't in the rankings. Taki Minamino signed for Saints at the very, very last minute. It went through at 1am, two hours after the deadline because the deal sheet had been in. And I like this a lot. I like this a lot. I I tweeted about it earlier. I said that, you know, Minamino goes somewhere that he'll play in a front two like he did at Salzburg in 1819. And under a coach in Hasenhutl, who's a little bit sort of between Jesse Marsh and Jurgen Klopp in some ways in in, in what he's trying to do. Uh, Saints get that upgrade on Shane Long, who went out up to Bournemouth on loan. He's, um, I love Shane Long perennially, but. He is starting to show his age a little bit, I think. And Minamino gets minutes under a coach he should be reasonably comfortable with. This feels like a a deal that suits everybody down to the ground. Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, this there's nothing wrong with this deal at all. It's it's wonderful. Um, in the context of what Southampton were probably looking to achieve on deadline day, it's probably not quite it, is it? I mean, they Southampton needed fullbacks. Were, they needed centre midfield and fullback cover, and they pursued that in the form of Billy Gilmore and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and possibly a few others we don't know about throughout the day, looking to loan Jan Valery out to Birmingham City once the cover had been secured. It never came. They never got the deal over the line. They struck for Minamino really late. Again, nothing wrong with that. But in terms of objectives set out for the day, I don't think Southampton really achieved what they wanted. And in fact, they still loaned Valery out, although. Let's be clear, 
against Villa, Ralph Hasenhutl brought Musa Gineppo on to play right back for 15 minutes instead of Valerie. That's how little he rates him. So I don't think we should be too surprised that Valerie's been sent out on loan to the Championship because there's no faith in him full stop. Mm. Cop was quite nice about him, about Minamino, and he said, look, He's an incredible player. We just didn't give him enough chances. Um, he's like, that's, that's sim- it's as simple as that. And now there's 17 games left for Southampton. And if he stays fit, there's no reason he won't play all 17 of them because he's really, really good. Um, and if that's what happens, then it helps everybody. Um, so I think, it, you know, they obviously see Minamino as a long-term project. We always knew that when he, when he joined. So this is probably a chance for everybody to see whether he's up for it for next season. He is 26 now though. So, you know, you're, you're kind of expecting to to either launch into his prime very quickly or that he's not going to get that chance Liverpool. Now that doesn't mean he's not good enough to go and play at another elite club. You know, I think he'd be be excellent in a lot of places, but you, you start to think that maybe this is a little bit of a showcase window as much as anything else, because there's no option to buy on it. And with that, I mean, look, he got 350 minutes for Liverpool in the Premier League in the first half of this season. You're imagining in 17 games, he's looking at a minimum sort of 700, 800 minutes for Southampton. And that's going to be double his exposure. in, And, that, and that's a very conservative estimate, I would suggest. Although Southampton do have, you know, a nice amount of rotation in those positions. So, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's a good, good opportunity for Taki. All of their players are injured, so Minamino will play. <laughs> <laughs> at right back if he needs to a <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of look, other ones you liked Sam yeah I mean I've probably had about 15 more to be honest with you mate um, there was some there was some good short term mm, some good short term manoeuvring I'd say uh, like William Jose to Wolves was uh, they were in a tight spot they needed somebody to play off uh, a Jimenez like figure to take the pressure off Silver and I think that's not a bad one Sebastian Allaire to Ajax I quite liked I've heard very good things about Brendan Aronson and I was hoping that either of you might be able to fill me in, but apparently he's already balling out of Salzburg. So that's quite cool. A couple of my very favorite football manager heroes, um, Manuel Ugart went to Famalicao and Oleg Ryabchuk went to Olympiakos. That was only two million pounds. Here's one. People are lauding this, but I'm still not 100% sure on it. It's Papu Gomez to Sevilla. Mm. On paper, nothing wrong with this pickup. Can't escape the feeling though that Sevilla pretty much always play with a 4-3-3. And they don't actually use Papu's prime position, which is 10 or support striker at a two. They don't really tend to play his system. So I wonder what the plan is for him there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. But I'm, I mean, obviously I love Papu, but I hope he fails miserably uh, in, <laughs> at Sevilla. That's basically all I have That's to add. To say, he's, yeah. he's brilliant. Let's just let's have it right. He's he's a very very good footballer. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm not quite sure how he fits into that system. Maybe the pedigree changes everything to to make that fit. But I, I can't see it, and therefore I will be keeping an eye on that to see just how he does fit in. Here's one for you, Jack. Um, Lucas Verasimo joined mm-hmm. Benfica following the conclusion of the Copa Libertadores. So. You would have seen a little bit of him playing in those finals. Uh, sold to me by my South American expert friends as one of the best, if not the best centre-back in, in, in South America in terms of ball playing when it comes to centre-halves. He's joined Benfica, who took Vertonghen and Otamendi in the summer and have felt the need to dip back into the market again. I can see why. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Only about five million. I quite like that. Portugal's often a very good landing spot for South American players as an entry point to Europe. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I think all of the above, basically. There's not much risk attached to this deal, is there? At five million, you expect that it will probably go reasonably well. I thought, quite interestingly, 
Ferro got loaned out to Valencia. So obviously that kind of explains where the gap is going to come. You know, if I'm being perfectly honest, that I think he he does does start to start quite quickly because I think they have lacked this season Benfica in terms of, of, of centre-backs and I think they have lacked pace and mobility in there and people have been able to exploit that that said yesterday it was brute force they got them done by sporting so mm. you know maybe maybe just adds a little bit of everything but yeah I think this is a nice pickup I think it's reasonably risk-free and like you say Portugal is a nice landing spot from South America coming in, especially centre-backs. And we've seen that we've seen that happen over and over again. And talking of Portugal, the other thing that I really liked was the kind of weird swap deal slash signing between Braga and Sporting for Paulinho, who's come in to try and address the slight lack of scoring goals at Sporting, despite the fact they are top of the league. They have not scored all that many goals. They tend to win games by one or two maximum. And, you know, it's worked for them. But I think they're looking for someone to come in and uh, and make that spot his own. And Paulinho is coming from Braga. And I believe it's about 16 million euros. Plus Christian Borgia and Sporar went to Braga on loan. So they've invested quite a heavy amount here in Paulinho. You know, that's quite a big amount of money, you know, including two players. He's 38 goals in 100 games for Braga, pretty much dead on. The nose is not a brilliant scoring record, but he's been good this year. And you know, when you when you look at it in terms of what sporting need, I think this is this is a good signing. I think he will do well in the sporting team. And I mean, I guess it probably wasn't too hard to convince him because they are top of the league and look like they're cruising to the title. So yeah. he's a he's got an opportunity to make himself a hero. And and I think he will be useful up there for them. I think that's a lot of signings talked about, frankly. And we should Everyone. probably, every single signing, apart from maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles joining West Brom and Joe Willock joining Newcastle. The Arsenal boys are out on loan to the relegation boys. Mm. And with that, we should probably move things on. After the break, we are going to be doing Mel of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for my favourite part of the show. Dean, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Presnel Kimpembe. Oh, no. I can't believe I've said it. What are you I doing? I can't believe I've said those words. Look, it's no one's safe. No one is safe when it comes to Melon of the Week. And I saw this. I'm actually... Performance. And then the way that the performance ended and was just like, I'm sorry, mate. I can't even defend you. I'm your biggest fan in the world. I can't defend this. Um, PSG... Lost weekend 3 2 to Lorien. And look, Kimpembe didn't have a good game. Um, you know, he's part to blame for the first goal when there was a mix up. Um, wasn't a great all round performance at all. You know, PSG had scored both their goals from penalties from Neymar. And then in the last minute of the game, literally just got to 90 minutes, start going into added time. PSG get a free kick on the left side, right? And so everyone starts going up. PSG smell like they're going to, they're like, we're going to get the last minute winner. So everybody starts going up. Like literally 
everybody went up. Kimpembe mm. should have been the man that stayed behind. And I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be, but he just kept creeping and creeping till he was about, I don't know, 30 yards from goal or something. Anyway, Neymar tries this clever free kick, which almost came off, to be fair. It was a nice little pass like around the wall into the channel for Mbappe. Mbappe, though, has a loose touch. Lorient won back possession and countered basically really fast. And because Kim Pembe was at least 10 yards further forward than he should have been, just complete, just couldn't get back in time. And they've been outpaced and they've scored on the break. And it was a last minute winner. And PSG just all stood staring at themselves, most of them in the other half of the pitch because so many of them had gone up there. Like literally all 10 men were stood around the box. It was ridiculous. You can um, see you can see Kimpembe trying to chase back, can't you? You can see him just on the left of the screen trailing. He's like his, yeah. neck's, his neck's back and he's trailing away trying to catch up and he can't catch the striker. He's yeah, miles off He still off does it. that thing that defenders do when goals go in and throws his arms up in the air and looks around at everybody else. And it's like, no, mate, that was you. That was you. Yeah. There's <laughs> no one within 40 yards of you, mate. You should have been there. There was very uh, Man United versus Basaksha here vibes on this, wasn't there? Like, you see the ball, uh-huh. you see the defender, he gets, he wins the ball of Mbappe and you see him sort of look up and be like, hang on, this is on. There's no one there. <laughs> he just throws his, The striker's looking around like, where the defender's gone. And he's like, I'm one on one. I can win this. I can be a hero. Slots Honestly. it. Yeah. Like, no, it, it I mean, felt it's like slow motion just watching that counter attack because Kimpembe is just like charging. You can almost <laughs> see the gonna... shock in the defender's eyes. He's like, oh, God, I could, <laughs> I could get yeah. an assist here. If you haven't seen the goal, then go back. Even just watch the highlights. Let's see that game. It's time for the gibberish ranking, Sam. Yep, this week I'm ranking the beans. There's okay. lots of different, lots of different beans. Oh, magic lots. beans are up there. This is Jack of the Beanstalk. <laughs> Let's roll. So an, an early honourable mention to Mr. Bean, who is very silly, quite funny, but not quite a top three bean in my opinion. Mm. Uh, number three, I'm actually going to go green bean because I do like a green bean. It's my green yeah. of choice in a in a roast uh, i'm not a particular fan of vegetables i don't have a wide array of vegetables to choose from in that regard because i hate almost all of them but i do like a green bean in fact i like a green bean so much i'll voluntarily have them with a steak dinner as well so that says something and the best mm. green beans i've ever had were at thai square restaurant and i've been trying to recreate what they served to me on that plate six years ago ever since and i've not managed it so there's a certain mystique to the green beans. what do you mean you've tried to recreate it sam your culinary experience goes no further than sticking oven chips in the oven what do you mean you've tried to recreate it i've tried i've put it i put the green (laughs) you put green beans in a pot and we're like why aren't these the same as the ones i got (laughs) at thai square look i didn't tell you that i tried hard (laughs) (laughs) i'm still figuring out okay still finding my rhythm fantastic anyway into number two is the black bean yummy and versatile so Mm -hmm. it's a pretty standard classic order from the chinese beef or chicken and black bean sauce and they work really really well in like burritos as well apparently they're very good for your heart very good for bone strength and they reduce the risk of cancer studies show but big up the black bean yeah, it's quite um, yeah. important in Brazilian cooking as well, isn't it? Um, mm. I was just trying to remember what I was cooking the other day with the uh, feijoada, which is basically like a black bean stew. Mm. Um, it's really good. I've been making making a lot of different cuisines recently, but I made a roasted vegetable feijoada and it was bang. Yeah. It was good. Nice. So yeah, like a, like a black bean, Sam, it's a great shout. So there is one bean that's better than the black bean. Mm, I'm waiting. Sean Bean. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. Utmost respect for Sean Bean's work. He has died a total of 23 times on screen. Became a bit of a running joke and he kept coming back for more. The deaths seem to get more and more gruesome. Uh, I've listed a few down. In Goldeneye, starting in 1995, he was crushed by a giant burning antenna. Moving through into Lord of the Rings, he was treated like a pincushion for orc arrows. Henry VIII, he was hung. Don't say a word, he was buried alive. For North, froze to death naked and in Black Death, quartered by horses after being diagnosed with the plague. And I think when he was beheaded in Game of Thrones, that was enough. He said enough was enough. And somewhere between 1995 and 2010, he must have known exactly what was coming when he picked up those scripts. But he put his foot down. And I have utmost respect for a man like that. So there were lots of different beans on offer here. We had the kidney bean, the pinto bean, beanies as in the hat, baked beans, and even a soybean. But like even including the black bean and the green bean, I think Sean Bean rules the roost when it comes to beans. I, I can't believe you didn't mention when Saturday comes, where he gets to yes, play same. Jimmy Muir. Uh, obviously, he gets to play for, for his... Boyhood club Sheffield United in the film, and he's uh, it's a great. It's a good football film. There's good not many film. good football films. So, like, yeah. actually, good I've only seen half of it. Have you? The other thing that Sean Bean did, or he narrated, which I loved, was the old Sky Sports football advert, mm. yeah. and it was like it's war, it's passion, it's blood, and it was like it, it's amazing. It's over a song called "Strings for Yasmin" by Tintin, and it's uh, it's actually the song that leads walk out to. Weird football trivia here going on, but um, it's the song that leads walk out to at Ellen Road, and it's an amazing advert. If you look at look it up, go on YouTube and whack in Sky Sports advert Sean Bean, you will be given a oh. rendition of some you know very very special moments and. Uh, I think it's probably the best football advert that's ever been created. So, so I'm actually no, completely with no, you. No, La Liga TV has the best football. <laughs> <one. laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone, get on the La Liga TV advert. To be fair, they I reckon are... they are inspired by that Sean Bean advert. They, they are a bit the same be. kind of vibe, aren't there's they? There's definitely, there's definitely a chance. I like some of them. Listen, they tug at the heartstrings sometimes. They get me no. excited about watching the next game, so I'm into it. Yeah, fantastic. I'm glad though, Sam, you've uh, you have brought Sean Bean and the La Liga TV adverts into our conscience this week. And that you deserve another excellent stamp of excellence for that gibberish rankings. Well done. That was that was lots of fun. Enjoyed that a lot. That's a bit uh, of breaking news while we were recording, and we're not gonna have time for it today. Um Marcelo Beckler's announced that uh Neymar is gonna sign a new four-year contract at PSG. Um, so I think we'll have to address that on the Patreon on Friday. Yeah, um, looks like it. it's going to be announced formally at the end of the week, so we can wait a bit anyway. But um, if you want to hear us talk about Neymar, you have to come onto the Patreon, I'm afraid, because we are out of time. We are indeed. And uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Ty. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you for listening as ever. Please keep sharing the pod. Please keep leaving us ratings and reviews on iTunes. It really does help us to grow. You can find us as ever on Twitter and Instagram where we'll be sharing the best of the weekend action plus some clips from all of our shows at Rank Squad. Thanks for listening. This has been Ranks FC. We love you. See you next week. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 